If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to take them to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. We've been looking at some of the blessings of the Christian life. Uh, many people see the Christian life as nothing but a series of woes, do's and don'ts, of, of uh, all kinds of difficulty. And, and, but there are blessings of being a believer. And we've been looking at many of those. We looked at the uh, bless, uh, several blessings. I'm not going to go over them all. But to this morning, I want us to look at the blessing of certainty. The blessing of certainty. And that comes from Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 28. A verse you could probably quote from memory this morning. If we were to line you up and point a gun to you, you could probably quote this verse by heart. Romans 8, 28. We'll pick up reading there. And we know, the Apostle Paul writes, that all things work together for the good of them that love God to them who are called according to His purpose. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to talk to you about the blessing of certainty. The blessing of certainty. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you this morning in your name is great. God, may your name be set above all of our lives. Father, we want to live for your name. We want to worship your name. We want to give our thanks to the name that is above every name, bowing our knee and confessing you are great. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Now, Father, I pray that you would tune our hearts. God, I hope in our, open our hearts to hear what you have to say from your word. Father, we can oftentimes come into uh, situations like this and not really utter the deep questions of why and the deep questions of, of how you do what you do. And God, I pray uh, that those, uh, those uncertainties that we uh, that surface in our life as we face the different obstacles and the different ins and outs, the things that happen in our lives. Father, I pray that, that you would take this verse and you would add it like a healing balm on the wounds of our questions. And Father, we can know of a certainty as we walk this life that you have everything in hand. That all things are working to a, a, a precise purpose of our calling. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. If there's anything that we can be certain of about life, is that life is uncertain. We can be certain of its uncertainty. Tragi tragically is, uh, tragedy is likely to lurk around the shadows of of all of our days ahead. We, we don't know what the days ahead hold. Uh, sorrow and suffering can blow into our life as suddenly as summer storm showers uh, can. The reality of life upon this terrestrial ball is that we do not know what tomorrow holds. We all live in a certain amount of uncertainty as to what will take place, not, not just in the years ahead or months, but even hours and minutes ahead of us. But as the old song says, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow 
and I know who holds my hand. That is not the case with God. God does know what lays ahead for all of us. And the true blessing of the child of God is to know of a certainty that the uncertain path of life is known perfectly, precisely by our loving Heavenly Father. You know, Joyce uh, Harden, in her book, Three Steps Behind, recounts a conversation she had with a Korean young lady. Different culture than ours. And she, she, she's having a conversation with this young Korean girl. And the author here, Dr. Harden, expressed surprise at this girl's ability to yield herself to a certain custom of their culture. And that is the custom of arranged marriages. And Dr. Hardin questioned how this young woman could ever marry a person whom her father picked out. The young lady's response was insightful. The young lady replied that her father loved her and knew her better than she knew herself. She was convinced that her father would never do anything to harm her and would make only the best choice for her. Now, I'm not promoting arranged marriages or anything like that, but that is the attitude. That is the certainty that we should have when it comes to our Heavenly Father to trust Him implicitly, to trust Him completely when it comes to the arrangements of our lives. How things are brought in and out, the ins and outs, the, the actions, the reactions, the problems, the obstacles, the mountains, all those things that accompany life in this world, we should trust to a loving Heavenly Father. And if I could pick any verse in the Bible, there's one in Genesis chapter 50, I believe, that is, that is a close second. It's usually known as the, as the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Remember Joseph telling his sons, Ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But if there was any verse that I could pick, I think this would be the verse that talks to us as like a flagship promise, promise from, the, uh, 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 from an omniscient God to unknowing children that He is in complete providential control of every detail of our lives. This verse is not just something to put on a plaque and hang on a wall as your home decor. It's not just something to put on a coffee cup. It is something that ought to bring a deep-seated peace in our hearts and lives. A peace of certainty when things take place in our lives. Every one of us, as children of God, can enjoy the blessing of certainty in an uncertain world by laying hold of six keys to uncertainty. Now don't let six scare you to death. You know as well as I do, the more points a sermon has, the shorter it is. You need to be afraid of the two-pointer, not the six-pointer, okay? So I'm just going to pull out six principles from these words, and I want to talk to you about laying hold of certainty as a child of God. So the first one I want you to see is this. I want you to see the conjunction of certainty. Go back to Romans 8.28 and notice that the verse starts with and. I just want to look at that 
One word. You know, it's easy to overlook the word and in this verse. This verse is so filled and packed with things that are helpful and, and things that are insightful. And it's easy to jump across this word and. But we must remember that it is a conjunction that connects uh, phrases together. Romans 8.28 is not a stand-alone verse. It is connected with all of this previous chapter of Romans chapter 8. And if you're looking for a high watermark in the New Testament of theological truths, then Romans 8.28 has to be one of the pinnacle places in the New Testament. It is deep. It is rich. We could spend years in this one chapter alone. But Romans 8.28 does not stand uh, in and of itself by itself. It's connected to Romans chapter number 8, which is connected to Romans, the book of, the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. It is also connected to the New Testament and also to the entire Bible. And so there is a context that is accompanying this, uh, this verse. The Roman letter that we find ourselves in where this verse is, is given to us is the greatest theological treatise ever written, written by the Apostle Paul to the church there in Rome. Previous to Romans 8.28, if you'll read the entire book, the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to talk, to talk about the grandness of the gospel, the guilt of the gospel, the gift of the gospel, how that Jesus was given, the justification of the gospel. And so all of this has been leading up to this point. You see, uh, you, you see the, the theological truths that God has provided in this book have shown us that man is sinful. That man, both Jew and Gentile, have broken God's law. They are under the curse of God because the law has the rightful accusation against all mankind. And that God also has provided a means of escaping that righteous judgment of God. And that is what? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, dying on the cross, provides a way for our redemption from the guilt of the law, our justification before, uh, before a holy God, and our sanctification for God's use in God's glory. That's what's all been building up to this point, this does not stand alone. And we're going to see later on, in, as we look later on in this verse, that this verse pertains to a, a very gospel-centered uh, application. One author wrote this, Romans 8.28 assures us that the cross of Jesus Christ not only saves our souls from hell, but it saves our lives from despair. It envelops every detail of life with redeeming grace. This verse right here gives us insight that is particularly helps us beyond what could be seen as the futility of life. That's why so many people in this, in this walk of life around us that are outside the gospel, that don't know the Lord Jesus, the rates of, of futility and suicide and, and all of these things, uh, the hopelessness of life, the, the abuse of, of drugs and alcohol, it's so profuse. Why? 
Because they have no concept of God infiltrating everything that takes place in their lives. They, they think that they are a ping pong, uh, 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 what is it, uh, uh, what do you call the, what do you call the things in the arcade, the, the uh, what do you call, pinball. They think they are pinballs through life just bouncing off whatever uh, whatever happenstance in the galaxy. But we know as believers that God is working in every aspect of our lives. And so we see the conjunction. We are connected with this verse. This verse is connected to the whole context of the book of Romans. Now, I want you to notice the clarity of certainty. He said, and we know. That phrase, we know. The next two words are the most difficult for so many to lay hold of. We know. You know, we live in a world that, uh, that thrives on uncertainty. You can't, I mean, even people, even people doubt the fabric of reality. That, that they think maybe reality, that this, this podium is not real, that's not made of real wood, this is all some fictitious thing made up in a computer and we're like in pods you know, I don't know, I've never seen the matrix but I understand that the matrix is all about this mind reality and people think that this world is, is, a rea- is, is some, kind of, uh, some kind of fabrication within the mind and we're, we, what we see and perceive is not reality and so they say we can't know anything for sure we can't know anything of a certainty But the reality of truly claiming and applying this verse the next time the confusion of life strikes your heart lies in these two words. We know. We can know things. We can have certainty. We, not we hope to know, not we might know, not we think we know, we can assuredly say We know, we know some things. And we know that's the hardest thing for us to grapple and hold on to. You can know these things. That's what the world just can't swallow about Christians. That we claim to know things of a certainty. We'll say, Brother Ronnie, well how can you know certain certain aspects? Because God has given us His Word. God has spoken through divine revelation, to give us His Word, to express uh, that purpose, uh, uh, for the express purpose. God has given us His Word for the express purpose of knowing. And this is littered all through the Bible. I'll just give you a scattering of verses here that affirm this knowing. We can know some things. Job, all the way back to the earliest dawn of, of recorded Scripture, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. I know this. uh, Job, the, uh, the, the battered and beaten, confused Job in so many in so many circumstances, could not understand what God was doing, could not see what God was doing. Everybody else seemed to know what God was doing. But in reality, he said, I know in the midst of confusion. 1 John 3, 5 and 13. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. There are certain denominations that will tell you, well, you just can't know that you have eternal life. Yes, you can by God's express word. You can know that you have eternal life. 1 John 3, 5, And ye know that He was manifest to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. We can know some things about the Lord Jesus. Going back to the psalmist, the psalmist reiterates this. Psalm 100 and verse 3, Know ye that the Lord is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. The psalmist tells us we can know our, our, our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We can know eternal things. We can know what is to come. We can be of a certainty, as certain as I'm standing on this stage, as certainly as this pulpit is made of wood, and this Bible is the revealed Word of God. I can know some things. And Paul says you can know that God has everything in hand. That God, that nothing happens without His divine purpose in the background. These are the realities of the child of God, the clarity that God keeps His Word. We're not in the dark. We're not, we're not completely caught unawares. Maybe in a moment, the, the knock at the door, the phone call, the, the doctor's report comes in. We, we may be caught uh, for a second, caught off balance by the happenstance of life. But give us just a moment as our mind goes back to Romans 8, 28. We can have confidence. We can steady ourselves on the fact that there are some certain, there is some clarity. We can know these things. Notice not only the conjunction of clarity, uh, the conjunction of certainty, the clarity of certainty, also the collection of certainty. And we know that all things, that's the collection. All things. All things. Everything. You know, I've often read books. And uh, as you read books, oftentimes there are, as you read uh, certain passages of, uh, of, of a book and you come to the end of a statement, sometimes there's a little asterisk. You ever seen those? A little asterisk by a statement. And what that calls you to do is go to the footnote at the bottom of the page. Maybe it has a number. Or maybe it has an asterisk. And you, you go from that asterisk down to the bottom of the page. And what will happen is usually that is a statement of a fact right here. But the asterisk takes you to the bottom of the page. And you read the bottom of the page. And it will say something like this. Yes, that is true. But there are certain cases that this, that this, that this might not be the case. It will. What it does is qualify the statement. It'll make a statement and then it'll qualify it by saying this is the case for some but not the case for dot, 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 dot. You know what I'm talking about. It is a qualification on a statement. Now, I submit unto you that the Apostle Paul did not put any asterisks, any, any notations, footnotes to qualify his all statement. And we know that 
all things, all things, all things. All things means all, each, and any. It means every, entirely, completely, and wholly. No matter how painful, ugly, difficult, taxing, heavy, or disheartening. No matter how accidental, unfortunate, unsuspected, unintentional, and seemingly unrelated. All things work together. Now is God the author of sin? Absolutely not. I I wholeheartedly affirm this. That God is not the author of sin. But But He... in many, in some cases, permits things to take place. I don't understand it. I know as a confidence that He knows about it, that He is using it to work things together, but I know that all things come under His control and His permission. I think about Bernard Gilpin. He knew this fact firsthand. Uh, Romans 8.28 was one of his most favorite verses and he used to quote it to people he ministered to. Gilpin was born in 1517, the same year that Martin Luther sparked the Protestant Reformation. Uh, He grew up as an evangelical Christian and was trying to get uh, established, uh, trying to get evangelical Christianity established in England. He became a great evangelist in the British Isles. Gilpin especially had a, a concern for the remote areas of, the, of Great Britain. In the north. He was oftentimes called the Apostle to the North. One day during his travels, this would have been by horseback, and horses are oftentimes unpredictable in their reaction to whatever takes place in front of them. And for whatever reason, Gilpin was thrown from a horse and broke his leg. Now, breaking one's leg in this time period was severe. It could cripple you the rest of your life. So Gilpin was laid up for many uh, many days in, in, with a broken leg in a, a place. He was traveling back to e- London, England. And someone who knew uh, who knew of his love for Romans 8.28 and how he quoted it all the time. All things work together for good of them that love God. And someone uh, came to him and mockingly said, Yeah, all things? Are you sure? All things? Even your broken leg? All things work together for good? Gilpin said, Yes, all things work together for good. And it did in Gilpin's case. His broken leg delayed his trip to London where bloody Queen Mary who had slain thousands uh, of, of evangelicals, those that truly preaching the gospel, she had slain thousands had determined to place him on trial and to, and to martyr him, to execute him. But by the time he was able to resume his journey, the news came that Queen Mary had died and Queen Elizabeth had ascended to the throne and rescinded all of her laws that outlawed Christianity. Gilpin was saved from almost certain martyrdom, martyrdom and he lived to serve the Lord until his death almost a quarter of a century later. Could a broken leg be part of of those things which God orchestrates for His good and of His glory? Yes, absolutely yes. There are a myriad of circumstances and colors 
of things that impact our life that we could delve and talk about, we could mourn and weep over. There are things that I've known as a pastor that have happened to individuals that have caused me to scratch my head, that have caused me to lay awake at night wrestling with this. Why God? But the reality is He said all things work together. Didn't say He was the author of all things, but all things that take place are are worked together for the good of them that love God. The conjunction and The clarity, we know. The collection, all things. Notice notice, uh, next. The coordination of certainty. Number four, the coordination of certainty. In our verse it said, all things work together for good. Work together for good. No matter how dark how gut-wrenching the things are, they work for good. R.C. Sproul, he was one that could really turn a phrase. He was an author, I think he was a Presbyterian preacher, but a great author. Listen to what he said. He said, the popular adage declares that the devil is in the details. It is more accurate to avow that God is in the details. God is in the details. The sudden circumstances of life do not catch God unawares. As a master tailor, he weaves each dark thread of life into a glorious tapestry. He turns every thunderous sound into a heavenly symphony. Every disastrous explosion, he turns into a masterpiece. In ways that we could not possibly fathom, I mean, how many in this world could ever imagine a set of circumstances which took Joseph, the son of Jacob, from being the the lofty son with the coat of many colors down to being sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, in jail for, for years, all of a sudden to ascend to the throne. I tell you, We could not possibly put together a story so rich in turns and head-scratching moments in moments of why. But God is working through every circumstance, through the painful accusation of Potiphar's wife, through the pain of the shackles on his hands in prison, to the pain of being forgotten by the the butler as he helped him uh, in the prison. And yet through every circumstance, God was positioning Joseph to such a degree to save his own family, to save the people of God, to save the line of Jesus Christ. God knows what He's doing and He takes every dark, painful circumstance and uses it for His glory. William Cooper One of my favorite characters uh, in uh, history. He was a very troubled man mentally. He lost his mother at a very young age. He was sent off to boarding school. His father was a cruel, cruel man. In boarding school, he was tortured and abused. He ended up uh, a very fragile man. 
many times coming to wit's end and trying to end his life. But he was a man that was richly saved by God's grace. And he pins some of those wonderful hymns of faith that we sing week in and week out all over the world. Listen to this one who explains this working together. William Cooper writes this, God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. In deep, deep in unsearchable minds of never failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Every hurricane that slams into your life has a bit and a bridle in its mouth being directed by an almighty God towards His purposes. The conjunction, the clarity, the collection, the coordination of His certainty. The coordination, also the condition of certainty. To them that love God. Here's the problem of this verse. Here's the problem of taking this verse and plastering it on coffee cups in stores at, at, uh, at many and varied places. Anybody and their brother can pick up that coffee cup and they can look at that verse and claim it for themselves and completely miss the phrase to, the, to them that love God. You see, this is a condition on this verse. No matter how grand or comforting it is, it is not without a condition. This tower of strength and solace is only for a select group. A handful of people. It is given to those that love God. Listen to Deuteronomy 7.9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Psalm 145.20 The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. John 14.23 Jesus answered and said to them, If a man love Me, he will keep My words, and My Father will love him, and I will come unto him and make My abode with him. 1 Corinthians 8.3 but if any man love God, the same is known of him. Ephesians 6, 24. Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. There are many in this world that will tell you that they love God. They love their creation of God. They love the God that is palatable to him. The God that doesn't send people to hell. The God that doesn't judge. The God uh, uh, that is permissive of every inclination of the sinful human heart. That's the God that they claim to love. But to love God, to truly love God, is to love 
the true God is to love that one which was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. To love God is to love His Son. To love His Son is to repent of our self-love and to trust Him with our faith and devotion and love. To put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To love God is to obey Him, to obey the gospel, to put our faith and trust in Him. Without this condition being met, the promise of Romans 8.28 is null and void. It is D-O-A, dead on arrival. That person from work that has that little plaque in their office about all things work together for the good of them that love God and they have no desire for God. They do not follow God in any instance of their life. There is no fruit. You say, Brother Ron, you can't judge people. Oh, yes, I can. Jesus said you can know them by their fruit. If I see no fruit, listen, I'm telling you, they may quote that verse to you. They may think they believe that verse and may trust that verse, but the reality is without a love for God and a love for God interpreted through the birth, the death, the burial, the burial and resurrection of Jesus, if they don't love the Lord Jesus, they have no claim. They can't squat on this verse. You can't break into this verse and squat without passing its, its condition. You see, for those that love not the Lord, all things work together for their eternal torment in the fires of a burning hell. If you know not the Lord Jesus, this verse, in, verse does not pertain to you. As old Puritan Thomas Watson put it, to them that are godly, Evil things work for good. To them that are evil, good things work for hurt. Lastly, no, next to lastly. Notice the culmination. No, this is the last one. The culmination, number six. The, cum, the culmination of certainty. Look at the latter part of the verse. Who are, to them that love God, And then he adds on another qualification. To them who are called according to his purpose. What is that purpose of God? Look at verse 29. The following verse. To whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is the calling? What is the purpose of God? Here he's saying it. To be conformed into the image of God's Son. Lord, why did this happen to me? Lord, why did this happen to me in my childhood? Lord, why did this take place in my marriage, my family, my home? Why did this take place in my children's life? Why is this taking place in our lives? Why did you allow this? You could have stopped it. These questions and comments rise from the clay of our lives to the potter of our lives. Clay does not speak to the potter and question why he has made 
me thus. Verse 29 says that we are being formed into the very image of Jesus. God's chief goal in your life is not your comfort, but your Christ-likeness. It's not your comfort, it's your Christ-likeness. That His person and His character be formed in each of us to such a degree that we become a mirror reflecting the image of our Savior King, the Lord Jesus. You say, Brother Ronnie, I'm a far cry from Jesus. And the older, the older I get, the more I realize what a far cry I am from who Jesus is. How in the world will I ever be a reflection of Him? Beloved John tells us in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You may feel as I do that it seems as though the farther I go along in my Christian life, the more and more I don't look like Jesus. Certainly there is, a, certainly there is an aspect of that in which I need to take stock in my, my own heart. Have I believed upon Him? Have I, do I trust Him as Lord and Savior? But as that, as that uh, realization creeps in, we can have confidence. We can have certainty. That God is using every circumstance to make us more like Him. I'll admit, there are things that happen in people's life in which I scratch my head and I, I wonder at what, what God is doing. You know, uh, you look at, at the life of Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you know Corey Ten Boom, the, the story of her life and how that so many things in which it is obvious that there was a hand of God protecting her and her sister through the Holocaust, through dark days of loneliness, of pain, of suffering. There was no doubt a hand of God of protection. But that hand of God of protection took Corey's sister, Betsy. In the midst of it all. Why? Why? God could have easily prevented that. Why did he not allow her to go? Why did he allow Corey to go through and not Betsy? Why? Those questions cause us constant anguish in our life. As I think about these things, I'm reminded, of, I think I heard it as a, an illustration from a pastor who was firsthand knew this other or a preacher that knew this other pastor firsthand. He was a, a pastor in Florida. It stood over the grave of a, a middle-aged mother who died suddenly. Uh, a freak death, a car accident, a, a aneurysm, something to that effect. It was sudden. It, was, it just wasn't supposed to happen. And that pastor stood by a grieving father and two despondent sons, teenage Teenage boys that needed their mother. 
And as that pastor stood there over that grave of that mother, he told them that he remembered when he was a little boy at his grandmother's house. He, she had a, a quilting room, and usually when the family were together, a lot of the younger girls and the mothers and the grandmother would sit around that table and, and they would quilt patches of fabric together to make a quilt for the family, different people in the family. And those, those mothers would sit and chat as they quilted these patches together. But the children, particularly the young children, would run around and play. And many times they would get underneath that quilt and play together. I don't know, it's almost like a tent, you can imagine. And, and this pastor remembers when he was literally, he would climb underneath there and wrestle around and play with the other children he remembers looking up and, and looking at the work these ladies were doing, and it was, it was horrible. There were, there were frazzles and discontinued pieces everywhere, edges and thread-bearing areas all hanging down. It, it looked terrible. It looked like it just wasn't fitting together. And he wondered if his grandmother and those ladies knew what they were doing. He said many years later, as a grown man, he remembers going and, and visiting those ladies as they're sitting there doing that tradition of, of, of quilting that quilt together. And then from this side, he could see the beauty of it all. From the underside, he could just see discontinued ends, things that didn't make sense, and things that seemingly were without reason, but from the top, he could see a wondrous and beautiful design. A, 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 carefully, a carefully made quilt that is lovely in all of its scenes. You and I are very much like the children playing underneath. We can't see what God is doing. We don't know. There are, there are discontinued places instances where things just simply do not make sense but from Romans 8 28 we can trust that there's a heavenly father who is looking down and 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 designing and patterning and taking every raw edge and every broken line and every difficult circumstance and weaving them together according to his called I didn't delve into this, but this word called. This word called. It not only means, it not only talks about the pastor, the missionary, the evangelist, it talks about every one of us. Called. Called to God's purpose. Called to His plan. Many of the things and instances in life that I look back upon, I can see God cutting things and turning things and changing directions. To bring me into His calling for my life. That's the same with everyone. When you, when you come across those times in life and things don't make sense, get your notebook out. Get that prayer journal out. Write it down. Pin it down. I can see in the last five to six to seven years how those things at the time, they did not make sense. I could not understand why I felt the way I did. I, I made the decision that I did. And now things are more clear. Not completely clear, but more clear. From experience, you know this to be true. 
just from our just from the average experience of a believer, we can turn behind us and see many instances, maybe not all. There may be instances where there will always be a question. But there are many instances which we know, we can see, where God was working in our lives in the past. And from that, we're pointed to Romans 8.28, and we can draw certainty, certainty, that God is working things together for our good and for His, for His glory. Let's stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, you don't know the Lord Jesus. Number one, this verse does not apply to you. Just because you have it on a coffee cup and it comes from a Bible does not mean it applies to you. Love for God means that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He makes it very clear in the following verses, that effectual call. These are for only people that have heard that effectual call and come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today without the Lord Jesus, I beg you, turn and trust the Savior. Put your faith and trust in Him. But many, many of you in this room, I know fairly personally, and I know there are a lot of things in life that you question why did these things take place when I was innocent, when I was so small, when I, you know, why, why did the, I, I don't know that. I don't know the particulars of it. I can't tell you why that is frayed on the edge in such an ugly, mired place. But I do know this. There is a God that does. A loving Father that knows exactly why that blot is there and will use it for His glory. Trust it. Have certainty. He's working things out for your good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And I pray that this verse would become even more important. It, it always, for many of us as believers, this is a verse that is always there we quote it quickly sometimes. But God, I pray that you would take these, this, this moment of dissection and help us to recall it with even more certainty. That we can trust our Father. When we, can't, when we can't trace Him, we can trust Him. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts this morning through your word. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.